Father, this morning we are coming before you and we're asking, Lord, that one more time you would speak to us this morning. May be your words and not mine. May you speak to our hearts. May anything that's here that's distracting us, Lord, just for a few minutes, may we surrender our attention to you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are currently going through a series called Psalms for the Summer. And boy, oh boy, it does feel like summer outside, right? It feels pretty toasty. Uh, But today we turn to a familiar psalm. We turn to a psalm that is a famous poem by David that we all, uh, I remember when I was a child, I learned by memory this psalm. And this is none other than Psalm 23, probably the best known and the best loved of all the psalms. It is it had once a delight in childhood, but it also serves as a consolation for those in old age. It is said by Augustine, once noted that this psalm was the hymn of the martyrs. Undoubtedly, More books and articles have been written of this psalm and more poems and hymns composed on its theme than any other psalm. Although we might feel a sense of familiarity with this psalm, it doesn't necessarily imply that we have a full understanding of its meaning because its meaning is so vast and it's so deep, and it's so profound. So let's take a closer look this morning. And we, as we take a closer look, we see that the psalm falls within three stanzas. The first two present the ideas of a loving guidance and protection, while the third presents the idea of hospitality, Provided by the royal host. Psalm 23 is driven by two metaphors. God as a shepherd and God as a royal host. Both which express the deep trust in God's providences. So first we see God as a shepherd. This psalm opens with The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. From the get-go, it introduces a metaphor that runs throughout the Bible as a beautiful image of God's care and provision with messianic overtones. Does this sound a little bit familiar? The echoes of Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 11 resounding in our ears this morning as it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And as a result, because of Jesus is my shepherd, this has a resulting clause, which is Jesus is my shepherd and I will lack 
nothing. I am whole. I am complete. I have Jesus on my side. And this is such a comforting message for our lives today. With a world that is out there so chaotic. There's so many things that are happening out there. But if I have Jesus, I have everything. The psalm continues and it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and He leads me beside the still waters. Notice the language being used here in verses 2 and 3 to further develop God's perfect provisions. Using images that are familiar to the shepherd in ancient Israel, the terms go beyond the shepherd metaphor. There are green pastures evoking vistas of abundant fresh grass on which the morning dew has fallen with quiet waters. Remember, this is in the Judean desert. This is in the desert. There's not much grass that grows up in the desert. And the sheep, they will not drink water from turbulent waters. They would only drink from calm and quiet waters. The focus here is not on the food. The focus here, rather, is on the pleasantness or on the beauty. What David is describing is the idea of gentle leading. What David is describing here is drawing with the bands of friendship and love. What David is describing here is God's description of his character towards us. And that's the reason why David can say in verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, because God is my shepherd and he cares and provides for me. He will ultimately lead me in the paths of righteousness. God's way will always lead me home. Because his own reputation is on the line. He is acting on the very nature of his character. He is acting on the premises of his love. But then notice with me that the image of rich abundance, of bliss, changes abruptly. When the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow, of death. Here the psalmist, the psalmist is no longer speaking about God, but it shifts to speaking to God. The somewhat odd expression can also be translated as valley of deadly darkness. Valley of deadly Darkness, expressing a life-threatening experience. And I don't know about you, if you ever have experienced a valley of darkness in your life. When you go to the doctor and they gave you a cancer diagnosis. When you're trying to figure out how to turn on your car, Because it's 100 degrees outside, valley of darkness. 
when you're driving through your car and there's no AC. Valley of darkness. We all go through different health situations with different struggles in our life. And you know what is the only thing that alleviates that? Is the immediate presence of God. I don't know how many of us, when we're going through these struggles and we're going through these challenges and these difficulties, we know intellectually that God is there with us. But do we really believe it? Do we really perceive it? Do we really take moments in our lives as we're going through our day to truly and honestly connect with God? God, I'm going through the struggle. God, I'm, I'm suffering here. You know my challenge. I have a need, God. The only thing that alleviates it is the immediate presence of God. That's the reason why the psalmist says in part B of verse 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. When God's presence is there with us, that's the only thing that can bring us peace and that can bring us to the final tone in our life where we realize, God, even when things are not okay, it's okay. Because I know you're with me. As I'm going through this valley of darkness, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 4, in essence, is the climax. Verse 4 is the center of this psalm. And here is where the psalmist shifts from the shepherd metaphor to the royal host. First, God as shepherd. And now, God as royal host. This metaphor God as royal host is done through the juxtaposition of two seemingly uh, redundant terms. The rod, which refers to a scepter that is used as an insignia for the king. But then you also have a staff. You have a cane, which is the longer of the shepherd's rod. And is used to provide protection and support for the sheep. So God is depicted here as the Lord of the sheep and the one who cares and rescues them. But more than that, the psalmist says here in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. As a shepherd provides for his sheep, the royal host does the same. In the ways that reflect the ancient Near East hospitality, the first image that we get of the royal host is a royal banquet prepared in the presence of the guest enemies. According to the rules, Of many ancient Near East hospitality cultures, the enemy could not touch the guest because he or she was under the protection of the host. 
we see this story taking place in 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Do you recall that story when all of Saul's descendants had died? But there was one person that was still alive. What was his name? Mephibosheth. Yes. And this, and this person was sought after King David. And he went to his stable and he ate there with him. And he was protected from his enemies. And there was an abundance of food and he could go at the king's table and eat daily. But that's not all. We see this royal treatment continues as an oil is being poured onto the guest's heads and a treatment is reserved only for royal guests. Finally, there is a cup that overflows and satisfies all possible thirst, which according to the hospitality rules was continuously refilled. Imagine being at a table when you always have your feel and you're never hungry. You're never thirsty. The psalmist concludes by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow do you remember that in the beginning of the psalm is talking about a path of righteousness? But here, the imagery that is being used here is not, it's not the path of righteousness. It's not righteousness, but the key word in the first image now is a Hebrew word that is used that is called, that is keset. And this rich word is a covenantal Word. This word is a word that is difficult to convey in one English word because this word, all across the Bible, all across Scripture, this is the word, this is the one word that is always used to convey God's character towards His people. This word sometimes is translated as mercy, but the range of meanings includes terms as love faithfulness, loving kindness, and loyalty. This is God's essence, very essence of His character and His posture towards His people. He is kesed towards us. We don't deserve it, but God is kesed towards us. And the house of the Lord is both a palace, but also a temple. This covenantal term, kesed, does not only follow, but it pursues and makes one return to the house of the Lord. This is the result of righteousness. This is the result of God's loving kindness to return to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is not just a palace and a temple but it's merging both religious and a royal sphere. It is the image of the shepherd and the king. King Jesus in the banquet in the, as being a royal host. 
This is a deep theological meaning that we often overlook because we read the psalm and we read Psalms 23. But there is something much more richer. There is something so much deeper about this psalm. Because a careful study about this psalm will lead us to go over to the psalm that's right across it, which is Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, it shows us that this psalm is a messianic psalm, indicated as such within the psalm as it moves typologically beyond the experience of David to the new David, King Jesus. The psalm is cited repeatedly by Jesus in the Gospels and depicting Jesus' experiences on the card, on the, on the cross. That's the reason why Psalms 22 starts with the phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ends with, it is done. It is finished. Psalms 22 is not isolated in the book of the Psalms. It is a part of a trilogy in the Psalter. But then we turn to the other psalm, this right across Psalms 23, which is Psalms 24. And it is a royal entrance liturgy. And it it is also ultimately a messianic psalm pointing to King Jesus and the ascension and the entrance into heaven and in antiphable to Jesus' ascension in the entrance into heaven. That's why the angels shout, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And sandwiched right in between these two psalms, Psalms 22, which is the psalm of the cross, and Psalm 24, which is the psalm of the crown, we found right in the middle, Psalm 23, which I suggest is not just a psalm of comfort, not just a psalm of care, not just a psalm of providence, not just a psalm of hospitality, but this psalm, may I suggest, is a psalm that talks about the Lamb of God. He is not only the shepherd, but he is the sheep. He is none other than the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He trusted his father, the shepherd. And he he came down to die on the cross for you and me. Right in the middle of the psalm, we see Jesus coming to earth for you and me, surrendering everything and coming down to save us. So you see, this is not a psalm just about a sheep and about King David, 
But this psalm is about the ultimate king, King Jesus. And so what this Psalm 23 reminds us is that in this life of suffering or in this life of pain, in this life of plenty or in this life of want, God is good and worthy of our trust. He gave it all for us. In the midst of all of our problems, God enter into this world. In the midst of our uncertainties, we can be assured of lasting security, intimate communion, abundance, and happiness in the presence of God. We can trust and have confidence in God because He loves us so much. So then what is going to be our response? As we contemplate the message of the psalm, as we, as we contemplate the Lamb of God being slain in the cross for us to pay the sins of the world, to pay my sin, to pay your sin, what is God stirring in my heart this morning? Will I continue going on my way? Or may this summer be a summer of consecration? May I come over to God? May I surrender not just 35% of myself, not just 50% of myself, not just 75% of myself. May I surrender all of ourselves over to God and allow Him to be the ruler and the King of my heart. What is it going to take for me to make a difference? For me to accept God and to honestly say, God, you have full control of my life. I'm done fighting. I'm done going through the motions. God, I want to rely more on you. And if that's the case, then there's one practice that we might call ritual that the church has had over the centuries that shows and communicates our dependence upon God, our reliance upon God, and it's the practice of communion. As Adventists, we practice what we call an open communion. And what that means is that you don't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist member to share. But if God's sacrifice is so meaningful, He is the Paschal Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And if God's sacrifice is so meaningful in your heart and you want to say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. I want to make things right. I want to renew my walk with you. All who have committed their lives to Jesus may practice. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then I invite you to share the bread and the fruit of the vine. 
And let's come together as a family and celebrate God's goodness and rejoice together as a family of God in unity and love and show our appreciation for what God has done in our lives. So at this moment, we're going to conclude with a prayer. But as we conclude with a prayer, there's going to be some deacons on the hallways and they're going to point us into the direction where we may go as we go into the ordinance of humility. And so I would invite you, if God is stirring in your heart, this morning is the morning to go ahead and participate, to make things right with God, to take this a moment of reflection and to say and to think, you know, where's my life? Where's my life heading this morning? And so let's go ahead and pray. And then after that, there will be people signaling you where to go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning we are surrendering ourselves to you. And Lord, we are asking that as we go through this ordinance of humility, that is, if there's someone here that we have wronged or there's something that's not right, that we can make things right with others, but also with God. Lord, may we take fully reliance on you, Lord. May we depend wholeheartedly in you, Lord, because life is hard. And without you, Lord, there is no hope. Lord, you are truly and only the only way that we are able to continue in this life. So Lord, lead us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.